Hey everybody, welcome to the Muckrick Podcast. I'm Jared Yates Sexton. The economy is in an absolute freefall, but guess what? Nick Houseman is back. That's all that matters. That is all that matters. How are we doing, buddy? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. I have yet to adjust to the new time zone, uh, throw in a, uh, a time change, uh, daylight savings, whatever. Um, maybe they'll get rid of that this week. What do you think? I feel awful time-wise. I have no idea what's going on. Up is down. Left is right. Cats and dogs are living together. Mass hysteria. I, it takes me a month to get regulated to the time. I, I don't know if that's about me. I don't know if everybody feels it. I feel odd. I was worried about you down in the, uh, the, the previously free state of Florida. I didn't know what was going on. I thought you might've gotten caught up by the state power down there. We were all worried. Oh, you know, just driving past huge Confederate flags uh, off of the interstates, uh, which was crazy. That was near Tampa. Tampa, which is supposed to be, you know, a, a thriving city that's probably somewhat progressive, if you will. But literally a few miles off of there, huge, a big, big yeah. flowing General Lee flag, whatever, in the, in the flapping in the breeze. Yep. They, they love the Confederacy down in those, uh, down in those areas. Listen, um, we have an absolute jam packed show. I'm so glad that you're here. So I don't have to like sit here and drink a beer and think about the, the tides of history. Uh, you know, I'm very glad that we get to tackle this together. Listen, everybody, uh, China makes a power move on the world stage. Elon Musk is trying to bring back uh, the the old company town. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about one of the biggest threats that's rising up within the national conservatives. Uh, but before we talk about all that, Nick, um, the second largest bank failure in American history has now taken place. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which is one of the main centers of gravity for the tech world, uh, the startup world, the venture capitalist world, uh, it went down. And it went down really, really hard, uh, a, a massive, massive failure uh, that was caused in part for a variety of different reasons, including deregulation. There was a panicked bank run, which was set off in part by people like Peter Thiel. The government had to come in, take over the bank uh, as, as stocks and, 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 and faith in the economy have plummeted all over the place. By the way, we'll get to the Federal Reserve. They've got, uh, they've got egg on their face, Nick. And then... Uh, we, we currently are watching the FDIC insurance that has been pushed forward. There's so much to talk about on all of this. Um, I do want to say that this is exactly the kind of thing that I've been worried about now for years. This is the kind of thing the history shows us always works in cycles. Uh, Nick, what are, what are your initial thoughts on this? this, this it doesn't feel good. I mean, it's completely manufactured in one respect. You know, like GameStop should have started to give us an indication uh, that you could just get, get together on a Reddit thread and sort of, you know, affect the entire stock market and make a lot of money, right? Um, and this is a, in a similar way where, yeah, where Peter Thiel and all those guys decided to pull their money out. They didn't have to do that. And uh, But it's an interesting, you know, th this economy or the way our, our money system works is very complex and relies on a lot of different things. Just in case you're wondering, like, you know that if you deposit, let's say, $100,000 in a bank, like it's not sitting there in cash in a room, right? You, do we, I don't know. If, sometimes I think we learn that we did. That's how we think that's what's happened, especially if it's like, you know. Wait, time out, time out, time out. Are you going to sit here and tell the Muckray community that there's not a giant Scrooge McDuck vault where, where all of the bankers take their breaks and just like jump in there and swim around and spit out coins? 
Yeah, no, it's not like Hogwarts uh, and the um, Ingots, Ingots, whatever the hell it's called, that place with the dragon on top protecting all the money. No. And so, right. So as a result, because I've been kind of pulling this apart to figure out exactly why this is a big issue. And of course, you know, because we had inflation, they had to raise interest rates. That seemed to be. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Time out. That's sort of true. That's I want to go say go say real fast that inflation is a completely artificial thing. It created the excuse for them to go ahead and raise the interest rates. But oh, OK. Well, please feel free to interrupt with that. Those kind of points as we go through this, because that's because the inflation is bullshit and the Federal <laughs> Reserve raising high uh, hiking their rates. We'll get to that in a second. But you're exactly right that that is part of the domino effect here. Right. And so when interest rates go up, bond values go down. And it's not necessarily a, a huge deal if you have bonds that are, you know, uh, 15 years or 30 years uh, maturing. But um, if all of a sudden in that environment that we are in now where the, you, all the bonds you've invested in are going, the value is going down. And then a whole bunch of people decide, you know what, I would like my money out of the bank. They don't have the money. It's not there. They would have to then sell those bonds to then have the cash to give you the money that you deposited. Well, if the bonds are worth significantly less than what they had paid from originally, then that's what happens to a bank and they, when it goes on a run and they don't have any money to cover anything and then they go out of business. So, you know, maybe it's simpler than, than it feels when I did all the research today, but that's about what happened. And uh, I thought we were beyond this. Didn't 2008 teach us anything? No. No, it did not. And we are Americans, Nick, and it is our God-given star-spangled right to never, ever once learn from our mistakes. You know what, Jared? I'm going to take a detour really quickly because it reminds me of my trip. I was in Florida, okay? I went to, and it, it, there's, it's tangential, but it'll connect. Give me a second. We went to a um, Orioles-Pirates um, spring, spring training game, okay? Hot ticket. What's that? Hot, yeah, hot, hot ticket, ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, front row seats next to the dugout. And um, there's netting all along that whole stretch where, you know, there, wouldn't, there didn't used to be netting, you know, like that, that any foul balls go that way. And I thought to myself, we can get netting like that in, a, in a major, every major league ballpark and spring training park, but we can't get like sensible gun laws, right? Or we can't get sensible bank, banking laws or to stick, by the way, because that's, that's the point I wanted to make. We had the laws in place that would that prevent this kind of shit from happening. And guess who uh, decided to deregulate part of this for smaller banks and allow them to have uh, to invest more of their money and have less capital at hand to cover things like this? Uh, Ronald Reagan. No. <laughs> oh, he was that. No, that would be uh, Donald John Trump. And by the way, that would be the Republican Party that rolled back a lot of the uh, safeguards that that made sure stuff like this wouldn't happen. But to go ahead and give this the larger context, uh, that rollback of Dodd-Frank, which was put in place after the 2008 collapse, um, it was pushed by uh, including uh, members of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, that that said, you know, hey, we need to go ahead and move the threshold from uh, 50 billion to 250 billion to go ahead and give us a little bit of room, basically, to say, hey, let it, let us play around a little bit. What's fun about that, by the way, is it wasn't just Donald Trump's idea because he had no idea what was going on. He was too busy eating hamburgers. This was a concentrated effort to go ahead and push the envelope. It was also supported by 17 Democrats, Nick. Can you name, perhaps, who was involved in the 17 Democrats who helped push back Dodd-Frank? Oh, geez, Louise. Well, I'll go ahead and give you one. That's Barney Frank. 
And if that sounds familiar, it's from Dodd Frank. And by the way, Barney Frank currently uh, is playing a role in all of this because after going ahead and rolling back his own protections, somehow or another, Nick, he ended up on the board of Signature Bank, the second bank that has failed. Are you breaking news right now? That's completely the truth. And in the middle of all of this, and this is all great because this is the same bullshit, different story, different time. We love it, folks. The execs and the investors who were on the inside of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, they pulled their money. Uh, The CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, he pulled out, um, this is a minuscule amount of money, Nick, $83.6 million dollars in stock, meaning that they all had prior knowledge of it. And then all of a sudden you have Peter Thiel, other investors who have already sort of uh, digested this. It's almost like what crypto and like going back to GameStop has taught us this inflationary hyper investment strategy, which is you only put your money in stuff that you know is going to go up. And the first sign that it's going down, you don't want to be the person left holding the bag. So that goes ahead and creates an environment for all of these bank runs and all of these situations. But here's one thing that is at the heart of all of this, which is just absolutely maddening in every single possible way. These brain geniuses, and I'm talking about Peter Thiel, I'm talking about Elon Musk, I'm talking about Mark Zuckerberg, because one of the reasons why this has happened in the first place is because Silicon Valley Bank, which was in the middle, the nexus of all of this tech investment, these brain geniuses, Nick, who literally believe that they are so generationally talented that they should be choosing what happens in the future. They're the ones who should be carrying the light of human consciousness into the stars and that they are personally responsible for delivering us to the future and taking care of the trillions of people who come after us. It turns out that when uh, the Fed uh, hikes up rates, Nick, they're not such brain geniuses anymore. It turns out for the longest time that this free money that was completely holding up this house of sand, it turns out you couldn't lose. It was almost like going into a casino and being given special uh, tokens that ensured that every time that you played, you know, roulette, your number came up or that you played one roulette after another that wasn't, you know, red and black. It was just red the whole time. And whenever those interest rates go up, it everybody all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, things are downturning. I don't even know what to do. And they had to fight imaginary inflation in order to try and make people go back to work. Everybody here who was supposed to be at the wheel making sure that something like this wouldn't happen has either been bought off or they have magical memory that just absolutely forgets what happens in 2008. There's a reason why the American economy over and over continues to boom and bust. Because every time that it busts, people put a little bit of a break on it and a little bit of regulation on it. And then a little bit of time passes and they yank that shit out. And the next thing you know, it happens again. I don't know that things are going to collapse. I don't know that this is going to be a meltdown. If it isn't, and if we manage to dodge the bullet here, it might be time to consider putting those brakes back on the locomotive. Maybe. Oh, I mean, I think that uh, Katie Porter is already, you know, she she had uh, already had the receipts of saying this was going to happen when they repealed this back in 2018. 
Uh, and I think that she's now trying to get that back uh, and, and, and cover that because, again, you're not supposed to let certain banks leverage uh, more money than they don't have than they have uh, in the stock market. And the reason why they want to repeal this shit is because they don't they make they make a little less money. Jared, they get frustrated. They get annoyed that they can't make more money than they want to uh, because, oh, yeah, what you know, they don't care if anybody suddenly says, I want my money out. Uh, then the other reason why they don't care is because they know the government will bail them out. Now, the bank itself, if you were, you know, worked at the bank as a manager there, okay, you're probably out of a job. That's too bad. Maybe you'll get another job. But certainly the people who are all invested in that bank, who were taking the money out and then caused it to fail, they know that they're going to be made whole. Another bank is going to take over those accounts. And at least at the depositor level, no, no one's going to lose any of the money. Now, if you were involved in their investments in the bonds, that's probably all wiped out and you might be screwed there. But I have to imagine that most people don't have like all of their wealth tied up in that anyway. And so that they'll, but the people who deposited the money get it all back. And so it's almost like you said, what we learned in 2008, which was nothing, the government will end up coming in and just bailing everybody out and no one gets uh, held accountable to that. And that's, that's capitalism, I guess, for you. Or that's when capitalism and, and democracy get to meet in a nice little happy party. That is hyper-capitalism because what has been created is an environment. And, and, and this is exactly everything that's wrong with our current environment. They get all of the profits. The, the, these these brain geniuses of tech and Silicon Valley, they get all of the profits and they have none of the risks. They get all the rewards, none of the risks, because our government has been relegated into being shepherds of the economy and being there as a publicly funded piggy bank that can be broken in case of these things happening. So what we're looking at right now is the FDIC, which guarantees up to $250,000, right? They've gone ahead and in order to try and and staunch the, the bleeding here, because tech, and, and by the way, it isn't because I'm an economic genius. It's not because people like me are economic geniuses that we all knew that tech was going to be the thing that caused this, right? And there's other parts to it, including housing, uh, which is always in danger, particularly after we didn't learn from 2008. We all knew that tech was going to be where this took place, largely because of the philosophy that has taken hold there, which is just absolutely go for it. You know, you are gods in your own mind, gods in your own worlds. Now they have gone ahead and in order to try and stave this thing off, like you said, they're making sure that they're all going to be whole, that they're going to cover every possible account that is coming from uh, Silicon Valley Bank. They're making up to $25 billion. Uh, right now, they're saying that this is going to be at no cost to the taxpayer, which um, I, I don't know. It's almost like we're playing, playing around with monopoly money here because that's what we're doing. Um, I do want to say real quick before we get off the subject, Nick, um, and, and I don't want to sit here and do the doom and gloom thing the entire time. Um, a hearty shut the fuck up to Larry Summers. Go away. Nobody wants you around. Nobody wants your opinion on this. Go away. Larry Summers should be banned. And listen, I'm not an authoritarian, but let's make a law that only affects Larry Summers not having a Twitter account. Shut up. We don't care what you think. Don't tell us that the time is to bail out everybody. We know what you think. We know what you care about. This, by the way, is the same guy who echoed the Fed, who said, you know what? In order to make this economy work, we're going to need a lot of people unemployed and we're going to need some financial pain. Go to hell. Go away. You're done. That's it. I don't ever want to hear from Larry Summers again. I'm putting that down. That's the law, period. No more Larry Summers. 
Oh, I, I hear you. And I, you know, I saw that they're, uh, that they're claiming that the taxpayers will not be on the hook for all of this. And I, I, it, it's worthy of a deep dive to understand how, how that would be possible because they're going to take money from, well, the revenue that we taxpayers pay <laughs> to the government. Now, that said, we do know that in 2008, when they did bail out for like the auto uh, companies and they bail them out with loans, they did get repaid and there was interest. So, so in theory, the government actually made money back on that when they bailed out the auto industry. So there could very well be something in that notion there. But uh, I, I still feel like the money has to be fronted first and that's going to have to be taxpayer money i don't unless there's some other money we, i don't know about that they get but uh it, that that it's all it, you know they're all spinning it now it's almost like after debates uh, presidential debates and the spin room happens everyone just wants to spin this in their own way uh i do feel like it is a bit doom and gloom where it just seems very simple uh they'll take care of the depositors it'll everyone will move on and it's not going to have the ripple effect that like uh we saw in 2008 i want to say very quickly until before we move on whenever whenever something like this happens inevitably it's the same thing and people like myself and i've I've seen it the past couple of days people say to myself they're like okay you're such a critic of this system what do you think they should do it's like i didn't make this mess man i didn't set this thing up this isn't on me like i gotta tell you what what are my solutions go back in time and don't do this shit don't deregulate. Don't don't continually take the brakes off of this stuff and the regulation off of this stuff. You can have your market. You can have your investment. You can have your wealth creation, all of that, and still have a regulator on this. We've proven it. It's when it gets to, and this is something that you and I cover all the time. It's when all of a sudden Ed, the people involved, they start getting up to that ceiling and they're like, well, I, what are we supposed to do? Not grow? Oh, and then in, in, immediately they go ahead and they lobby for it and they get the brakes taken off and this thing repeats itself. So again, I reject the premise. You go back in time, you don't loosen Dodd-Frank, you go ahead and you make sure that you learn from something from 2008. And by the way, if we got that time machine, let's go back and throw some people in jail in 2008 let's go ahead and make sure there are some consequences so stuff like this doesn't happen again well but they don't look at it as like oh no we can't grow next quarter because we grew so much this quarter they they don't look at that like that way they look at it as the regulation is simply like de-incentivizing them to do their jobs well because there's a cap on their their revenue that's how they look at it only right it just cannot have any kind of cap on the revenue even if the cap we're talking about was a law that was put into place to prevent the global meltdown in the financial sector because you need to be able to have stress tests on bank to make sure that they have the capital to cover these kind of runs and that they're not over leveraged. And they also probably did a shitty job with their investments in bonds as it was, and they didn't uh, hedge them properly. So uh, there's a lot of things, which, by the way, that happens, too. And that's just, you know, that, could, that when, when that happens and they lose money, then, oh, well, those guys will get fired. That, that happens normally. But w- uh, when you have the, the, the teals and this is not a, a conspiracy theory, I, I think these guys all move together, uh, all these DC guys. And they are the equivalent, like you said, and we mentioned about GameStop. It's the equivalent of that uh, on a on a text chat instead of a Reddit thread or whatever. And uh, those guys really have the power to just shut down banks whenever they want. And that's that's what's so scary about all this, too. That shouldn't be available. And then also knowing that they can profit off of this is just, uh, yeah, we got to We got to do something to change all of this. You absolutely nailed it. Is there so much capital concentrated in so few hands that when these people get together and by God, they do get together. I I don't know what else to tell you from the lawsuits that have resulted in discovery of everything from Elon Musk in the tech world to what's happening in Fox News. 
and we'll talk about this in a minute when, when we talk about this Taneo thing going on in the right. Like, this is what they do. This is how it works, is you have a couple of whales that are moving around and they're consistently changing things. I mean, Teal and his his backing his backed group, that's what started this run. People looked at them and said, oh, my God, they're getting out. We need to get out. Mm-hmm. We need to move. So that's where that started. Speaking of influence, speaking of power, Nick, um, kind of kind of big news on the world stage. It's kind of weird that the United States isn't talking very much about this. It's almost like uh, it reveals a, uh, I don't know, a decline in American empire. Uh, China has brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia to restore uh, their diplomatic ties. This has come uh, as a little bit of a shock that China got out in front of this. The United States left on the sidelines. Um, this is one of those things that we're going to keep an eye on, particularly moving forward. I've got some thoughts on this. When you heard about this, how'd you feel? I mean, listen, can't we all get along? Isn't, isn't that nice? You know, we have isn't that what's happening. It's just friendship. That's all. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad thing to have more peace in the Middle East, you know. Okay. But uh, I mean, my first instinct was, okay, how much is China going to make selling arms to both these guys now? Like that that has to be what what they're doing and what it is. And uh, the, the worry there isn't necessarily they're going to make money that way. It's that the influence like they're, they're going to if they move into that vacuum uh, of arming other countries more than the United States would, then that's a serious power vacuum that they can suck up and 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 you know, uh, eclipse us. And that's concerning. I got to tell you, before we get into the fallout from this and what I think uh, we need to look at long term, man, with friends like Saudi Arabia, who needs enemies, man? I mean, really, over the past couple of years, I love, though, that our relationship with the Saudis, we have protected them. We have built them up. We've given them as much legitimacy as possible. Um, we've traded with them. And then, Nick, when eventually they gained leverage over us, I mean, America turned into basically the apologizing PR front that's like, I mean, yeah, our friends did murder one of our journalists and dismember them. Like, yeah, that is what happened. What, you don't want us to be friends with them anymore? Have you seen the money that they give us? Like, it, that leverage and that relationship has shifted so much that Saudi Arabia has been flirting with China. You know, it's like, it's like being out on a date and you look over and you're like, are you making eyes? What's happening here? Like, there's some footsie going on and it's been going on for a while. Saudi Arabia, of course, and Iran have both been very quietly pulled into the situation in Ukraine in which they've been aligning with Russia, uh, handing them weapons, handing them supplies. China, of course, has done the exact same thing. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of people in Washington, D.C. who knew that China was talking to Saudi Arabia, particularly as China is Saudi's biggest trading partner. And by the way, I, I, I haven't even said the word oil yet in all of this. The resources that have been put into play here is incredible. Um, there are people who woke up in Washington, D.C. when this became official. They went to bed the night before thinking that this was just going to be a quiet flirtation. This open like public relations coup that China pulled off here. And it's not a coincidence, by the way, that this happened after the war of words started going back and forth between DC and, uh, and G who has been calling out Washington DC explicitly in every single one of his speeches lately. This is not a coincidence that this big giant event happened. There are people who woke up thinking when they went to bed at night, that this wasn't going to happen. They woke up the next day and this scared the living hell out of them. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, throw into the context of like Trump getting into a trade war with them and, and risking upsetting China on our front, uh, you know, does makes this, this kind of stuff happen. We're like, OK, fine. If we're going to have strained relationships between if China is thinking if we're going to be strained with the United States then we might as well move in and find our other other partners too to, to maximize our profits and our influence. Uh, I, I suppose the one thing interesting about Saudis is that eventually they won't have any, any, any more influence. We will have other sources of energy and oil will not be worth anything anymore. Now, the only problem with that is that when, when does that happen? Is that like, is that 50 years from now? Is it 30? I, I don't know, but I feel like it's, it's still in the grand scheme of things, a short-term uh, solution to someone like China. Can I say really quickly, and this is like one of the really, really crucial things I think that you just, you just brought up. It is in the United States of America's interest to move away from fossil fuels. It, and, and I'm talking, st- I'm talking statecraft here. Like, and, and that's not something that I, I usually don't like talking about geopolitical strategy because I think a lot of it is bullshit and it forgets what happens to the human being on the ground. I have a problem with that, right? I like to go bottom up as opposed to top down. But even if we want to sit here and be real politic, Henry Kissinger style pundits, it is in America's best interest to go ahead and move beyond fossil fuels and to be the world leader in alternative renewable energy. That is in the American interest. Here's the problem. America is being held back in large part by a lot of corporations and a lot of the uh, energy companies, even the ones that are housed in the United States. They don't have any national uh, you know, uh, loyalty. They have no interest in what's actually going to help the country in the long term because the corporation has superseded the nation state. Because that has happened, our politics are being intentionally held back. This is one of the reasons, of course, why the Green New Deal could never happen. It would be the greatest boon for so-called patriots to go ahead and have America have this revolution in energy and could possibly be the one thing that could turn the tide of American decline and the burgeoning Cold, Cold War. But it can't be done. There's no way that can be done because the energy industry has stockpiled too much capital and holds too much sway over all of our politics. As a result, it's just sort of a downward spiral. And all that people can do is stamp their feet and talk shit about China. That's all they can do. They can just, you know, talk about like, what are we going to do? And, you know, if a war ever happens. Meanwhile, we have been lapped. I'm sorry, but seeing these pictures of China, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. And by the way, Vladimir Putin was not at that ceremony, but you better believe he sent his best regards. Right. This feels, and I'm sure there are people who saw these pictures, this feels like the 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 visits between the heads of state that took place before 19 before the 1913 you know, start of belligerence. Like we're starting to look at a back and forth where alliances are being created. And this is a preview of how the different sides get formed, you know, and and it's on one side, you have the American order and you got to wonder who's on that side with us. I mean, obviously you got Britain and France and uh, probably Germany. Well, maybe, maybe Germany, (laughs) we don't know yet, but by the way, I got to tell you, those are ascendant countries in terms of power and wealth, for the most part. They are starting to push back and shake that order. America has been lapped in a lot of this stuff. And this development is, it's really concerning. Um, you're going to have to forgive me. It was a little hazy what you said after Henry Kissinger, because you know that Clockwork Orange, you know how they conditioned him, how to react when he sees, you know, uh, lewd images. When I hear Henry Kissinger, that's what happens to me. My, I just have a, a, a visceral, you know, I feel like my eyes have been stamped open and they're putting eye drops in. But um, 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating because again, it's some, if you look at this in the longest term, like I was sort of, you know, alluding to as far as Saudi Arabia, like in my mind, Saudi Arabia is already done. Like they're, they're over. It, it will be over. And so it's a question of when. And so it's like, well, okay, now you're going to find other people who are like, like China who think, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to stick a thumb in the eye of uh, the United States. And by the way, Saudis think that as well. When in reality, it's like, okay, like you guys eventually are going to be so uh, insignificant in the world stage anyway, and you won't have any power or money eventually. So uh, I I, I just wonder what that means, you know, in in the short term now. Uh, But I suppose, yes, like you were describing as far as what the reaction will be in D.C., um, you know, it is we'll have to keep I guess the next step is keep your eye on what Biden says. Does Biden start to sort of say some nicer things about Saudi Arabia now in public and sort of begin that process again? I guess that'll be the way to know what the, what he intends to do for the rest of this uh, this this presidential. I, I really don't know where you go. I mean, the, the the movement at this point, and again, not not to sit here and play chess or checkers, but it's like you know that that side of the board. You also have India over there now. You know, and India is like moving so far in the authoritarian direction. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, what's going on in Israel is crazy. I, I I don't know. I'm not really sure how you sort of push back against that. The United States, since the war on terror, and, you know, I was talking about that on the weekend or a little bit, like what a colossal, colossal mistake that looks like. I, I, I was talking about this on that episode. We're now coming up on 20 years the last 20 years have been defined by the colossal mistake to invade the sovereign nation of Iraq. And what that mistake has wrought is a loss of soft American power and the transfer of hard American power into private hands and also into industries that literally don't care how America does, right? It's just more about America carrying out the, the, the orders of the machinery. And I'm sorry, but Russia did not invade Ukraine like all willy nilly. Like they thought that this was the moment where they could shake up the snow globe and that they could change the world order. And there's a reason why there's a divide on either side. It's like the Grand Canyon. We're on one side and everybody else is starting to move to the other. And that's kind of what happens. You either sort of maintain control and hegemony or you start watching people, uh, you know, make a run almost like on a, on a bank that's failing. Oh, I can make people feel worse than what you just talked about. Would you, would you like me to try? I can't. I can't wait. Welcome back, Nick. Thanks. Uh, you know, New York Times article about this. I'm just going to read a, a couple of sentences from here because uh, it's a little chilling. Uh, Beijing has also sought to em- emphasize a plan called the Global Security Initiative, first introduced by Mr. Xi a year ago, that it describes as an effort to apply Chinese solution and wisdom to the world's biggest security challenges. And the initiative, which reprises Mao-era language about promoting peaceful coexistence, calls for a new paradigm in which global power is distributed more equally and the world rejects yep. unilateralism, block confrontation, and hegemonism, yep. hegemonism, a reference to the United States and, and NATO, which is what you just yep. kind of said, right? Yep. Um, but what I think about this is that it is, uh, China has nuclear weapons, right? Yep. Um, does Iran? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the question. It really depends on who you're talking yeah. to. And, well, would they like them? <laughs> uh, it sounds like they're trying. Yeah. yeah. And so under the threat, and by the way, when you, you know, Putin is, is, you know, probably behind the curtain here on this one. You know, he's, he's freaking out about NATO. They want to be able to have a more balance of power. I mean, all there's, I, what I hear that is they want Iran and will have nuclear weapons at some point sooner than later. And maybe so will Saudi Arabia if they don't already have them too. And that just becomes 
uh, a really sort of frightening proposition because now you're talking about Israel threatened that way with those with that, that kind of weaponry. And that that's that's a scary thing. Nick, you know, what's weird about this is I thought that creating nuclear weapons was going to create a peaceful world that all of us having nuclear weapons was somehow going to deter us from using nuclear weapons. It's really strange what you're saying, because it's almost like the people who push that and, and, and promise that thought that there was no possible way that the order of the world was ever going to be interrupted and that America could never possibly lose power. We are living, by the way, in the post-World War II American century. And this is the first century, well, it's going to be a short century, let's be frank. This is the first Amer- This is the first empire that has involved the major hegemon having nuclear weapons, right? And the challengers having nuclear weapons. It's almost like the lack of imagination, particularly among the people who are holding on to power and were pushing to increase power, including, by the way, thanks, Dick Cheney. We love you. We love you so much. I'm so glad that you have been completely legitimized in the public sphere because of Donald Trump. Thumbs up, buddy. Those people had no imagination and could never imagine a shifting power structure. And it just so happens, and this is what I keep harping on, and why you and your family should go get your copies of The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power Paranoia in the Coming Crisis, that this is the moment where this order is in danger. It doesn't mean it's going to fall. It doesn't mean that the other side is going to win. But everything that you just brought up raises the stakes. It changes the way that this stuff can work. It starts out economic. And then it starts getting hot. And that's what we're looking at right now is that the American century is being challenged. It's on the ropes, quite frankly. And it's and it's it's opponents recognize an opportunity to start pulling things like this. Well, wasn't part of the uh, argument about developing nuclear weapons? A was obviously the end of World War Two, but then they were like going to have this the police and make sure that nobody across the world or the the, uh, the globe had these weapons besides, I guess, us and and Soviet Union, right? Uh, okay. Well, they didn't want the Soviet Union to have them, but yes, <laughs> yeah, right. So, but they had to make kind of, and then you know, then India, Pakistan, all of a sudden they all start popping up around the, the world. But we had, we did have some police around the world who were supposed to be in charge of this stuff. And um, and how how ask uh, how well did that go? Uh, and it actually was working. I, I would actually argue it was working in places like Iran uh, up until just very recently, for some odd reason, where they suddenly uh, didn't have to abide by those rules that we had in place that they were agreeing to as well. So this is a uh, you know everything is going to go back to Trump ultimately. It sounds like. Well, and that's the thing. Of course, Donald Trump had no idea what he was doing, but there reaches a certain point in which, and it goes back to like what we were talking about with the bank runs, like there reaches a certain point where you only have so much power and so much profit that's available to you based on the current system. You need someone to go in there who is corrupt and who has no conscience and is going to go ahead and open things up and basically go ahead and allow you to increase what's going on. That's what Donald Trump was. Donald Trump took off all of the brakes because he was told to by all of these right wing groups. And eventually what happens is the problems that were getting worse were then exacerbated. And you're exactly right. I mean, you can go back to the Trump presidency and, and, and see where this thing really started getting wild. And, and, the, and the sad thing about that is simply because Obama put the JCPOA in to stop Iran from getting uh, uh, weapons was why he repealed it. It had nothing to do with how well it worked, what it was, anything. It was simply, did he do it? 
then we got to get rid of it. And that's what he did for a lot of different things that were helpful. And uh, and that's, you know, we're going to be, we say this all the time, we're, the repercussions of uh, Donald Trump presidency, even if it was just those four years, are going to be felt for decades. Well, and by the way, he was backed by a lot of people. And again, you're exactly right of why Donald Trump thought that he did this, right? That was the personal reason, right? It was, he looked at everything that Obama did. And if Obama, if Obama did it, it was obviously evil. But everyone around him was just absolutely licking their chops at the possibility of fighting a war with Iran. This has been one of the main goals of the American uh, neoconservative and right wing establishment for decades now. And by taking that off, like it seemed like maybe you were going to be able to go ahead and sort of goad them into this. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, it's not a coincidence, Nick, that we hear. I think it was last week that Iran is X number of days away from like having a nuclear weapon, which we've been told for a while, but that's a different thing altogether. Next thing you know, they're sitting there for a photo op with Xi Jinping. That's not a coincidence. It is a soft battle of maneuvering that's taking place. And again, I mean, it's, it's almost like um, red Rover, red Rover. And we looked up and it's like, Oh man, we don't have anybody holding hands. <laughs> it's not great. No, I mean, throughout the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine as well, and all the, like, why is it happening now? And there's a lot of, all these things are connected and related. And uh, if, if you don't have competent leadership and you don't have people who are thinking 10 steps ahead, then yeah, that, your power wanes and, uh, and everybody suffers for it. Exactly. Okay, next up, uh, we, we got to talk very quickly. Uh, down in uh, down in the great state of Texas, we love Texas, folks. Uh, of course, Elon Musk relocated from Nix, California. It got too liberal. It got too woke for him, Nick. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sure you were sad to see him go. He relocated to Austin, Texas. Of course, taking uh, his companies of Tesla, Boring, SpaceX with him. Down in Texas now, Musk and his consortium have bought up three over 3,500 acres outside of Austin, Texas, which uh, I like Austin, by the way. Have you been to Austin? Love it. I was there uh, in 1995, South by Southwest, before it got corrupted. Love the place. Beautiful. Uh, the the stories about South by Southwest before it became South by Southwest are yeah. amazing. Uh, I was there uh, at South by Southwest just as things were starting to get really, really wild. Uh, you couldn't get, you know, a beer for under $200 in Austin, basically, when I was there. And, and what has happened at this point is there has been announcements for a new town in Texas uh, that is uh, basically going to be a, a place for employees of Musk's Tesla, Boring, and SpaceX to live in. It's called Snailbrook, which I got to tell you, Nick, really appealing name. Uh, I cannot wait to go down to Texas and uh, settle down in good old Snailbrook, which is uh, Musk has promised is going to allow his employees to live, uh, to rent places, new, new houses for, quote, below market prices. Um, you know, what's funny about all this, Nick, is we've seen this before. And in the past, we called it company towns in which these corporations and groups basically controlled every single aspect of life. It's pretty incredible how this guy who talked about colonizing Mars and talked about indentured servitude as a means of getting there is literally just recreating the oppressive capitalistic systems of the past. It, it, it's, it's really something to behold. Well, especially because you can merge the technology now with that ideology and then you have a surveillance state 
And it's yeah. like, you know, are you sick? Are you not sick? Why aren't you coming to work? Let's go find out. Let's check our cameras and see where you are, like that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I don't know people would want to work there and do that uh, and, and live like that. I mean, I suppose if they have enough like bowling alleys and whatever, like it seems fun and to go. And maybe if you were 23, you could want to do it. But we've already seen what he did to Twitter, people sleeping there, uh, no food served there anymore. Uh, all the you know different kind of amenities that used to make it attractive are gone. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's remarkable that he's able to do anything at this point, short of uh, bite his nails and worry that he's going to be get bankrupt having to pay off the debts from Twitter that he accrued. I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's like watching a person just continually to make things worse and worse for themselves. I mean, the, the reports that are coming out of Twitter and his associated businesses are that this is, surprise, surprise, a person who is deeply, deeply unwell and paranoid as he descends into right-wing paranoia and madness. Now, all of a sudden, we have this idea. And for people who don't know about company towns, uh, this came along with the rise of industrialization. Uh, this, you know, this included uh, the coal industry, mining industry, lumber industry, major projects that were taking place all over the country as, as America was uh, modernizing. These companies would build up these, uh, you know, the, these company towns. They would control everything. I'm talking about the stores. I'm talking about the culture. I'm talking about the currency itself, oftentimes giving them money that could not be spent outside of the town. In this way, they created employees who could not leave their jobs, who could not push back against management. And by the way, the way that these societies were structured is that they went ahead and indoctrinated the children. They indoctrinated the people. They made sure that all of their cultural decisions were made for them. Uh, and I got to tell you, as we move closer and closer towards a neo-feudal state helmed over by idiots like Elon Musk, this development, I got to tell you, this is what corporations want. They do want to go ahead and create situations where people can't get jobs elsewhere. They're educated, maybe even in private uh, uh, kindergartens, all the way up into private training for uh, these individual corporations. You don't have other opportunities. It isn't transferable skills. And they basically have you where you cannot quit, you cannot leave, and your entire life is more or less controlled, as you were saying, now with cutting edge technology. This is nightmare stuff. This this should not be allowed, first of all. And second of all, uh, I'm, I'm shocked by how unsurprising this is. Well, I do have a question for you then. I mean, do you think that there is a way to do this sort of thing in a, uh, a, a nice way where people actually are treated properly and they want to go work there and it's not nefarious? I, I don't know of any way. I mean, unless you had, you know, an active labor union that was able to like step up for people. But I got to tell you, I don't think you're going to have a company town as long as you're having an active labor union. You know what I mean? Like part of this is about the fact that you're supposed to be able to live where you want, stay where you want. But the problem is that Austin, Texas, going back to what we talked about, much like a lot of these other cities in the country, the, the cost of living is through the roof. It's almost impossible to live in Austin, Texas right now. You know, normal people have been priced out. As a result, if you want to go work in Austin, Texas, which is where Elon Musk has decided to be, like your options are going to be pretty low. The same thing's going to happen in your neck of the woods, you know, with with places like Google and Apple and, you know, with Silicon Valley, unless it absolutely plummets in a meltdown, you're going to start seeing this being the only means of possibly living in these places and working at these corporations. 
Well, we already saw it Silicon Valley. The people who work there uh, yep. can't afford it. And people who work at Google, uh, they cannot afford it within, you know, 50 miles of the place. So, uh, and, and, and do you know how that works, by the way, do you know, do you know how the, the, the Google employees and Apple employees, do you know how they handle that? Uh, I, you know, I remind me, I like, they're sitting on people's couches. What are they doing? Oh no, they're, they're living, you know, upwards of an hour away from places like San Francisco and Apple and Google are having to bust them in. And basically you have like uh, this transportation that you have to sit there for like an hour commute and they've got them all decked out where you have Wi-Fi and you can go ahead and start your work while you're on your way to work. That's how bad it is. And we're not talking, by the way, about people who are cleaning up trash cans. We're talking about people who are well in six figures, who are making a ton of money, who are making iPhones, who are making uh, Apple watches, you name it. These are the people who are creating the biggest and most giant influential products, and they can't even live in those cities now. Right. But, but you know, and, and you could say, well, they should just build housing for them. They should do that. I suppose it's still cheaper to just bust them in and, and do all that stuff instead. Uh, but it would make everyone's life a lot easier if they just would do that. And, you know, last I checked, Apple makes makes money, right? They're not, they're not losing money. Uh, they have a little extra cash on hand. Uh, just do it. But uh, but, but I hear you. There, there is a it's like a, there's a, a suspicion there. Like, I don't want to live in the in a building that my boss built, you know, nope. uh, that, that my manager who's annoying as fuck is all over my shoulder is like living next door to me or whatever. I, I, I hear you. That's an interesting uh, dilemma as well. So, um, yeah, it's I guess the only other solution would be, yeah, you want to build a place where it isn't expensive to live. Um, but that's sort of what he's doing. I, it's a conundrum. It's absolutely awful. And by the way, real fast, we wanted to, to end this episode. I wanted to talk a little bit about this new thing to, to give you a little bit of insight. Uh, Leonard Leo is a name that we all should know. Leonard Leo is um, one of the main figures behind the Federalist Society, stealing the Supreme Court. Uh, he's been one of the biggest power brokers behind the right wing ascent uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, our friends at ProPublica, Andy Kroll, Andrea Bernstein, and Nick Sergey from uh, Documented, have released this report on a new project. Project. And this new project uh, is, is now involving Leonard Leo, who, uh, a reminder, was just given over a billion dollars by one donor. Must be incredible. In this report uh, about this thing called the Teneo Network, uh, it says, quote, Leo declared in a slick but private video to potential donors he planned to quote, crush liberal dominance across American life. The country was plagued by, quote, wokeism in corporations and education, quote, one-sided journalism and, quote, entertainment that's really corrupting our youth. Now, I got to tell you, before we get into how they plan on doing this, Nick, isn't it always weird how when they talk about this on the right, it's almost word for word what people said the Jews were doing? Isn't that strange how that happens? You know, it's interesting that you went there because I, I was thinking it's exactly what they said, like when Elvis, when Elvis came on the scene, too. Right. right. It's it, this is the complaint every generation has about where we are with right. our society and our culture. Every 20 years, it just give a new object uh, to focus on. But I think uh, we're still here. Right. People are still living and, and treating, you know, the society is functioning at the very least versus the doom that they're trying to predict from this. So uh, I, I, I just kind of find it hard to believe. But then again, is it that shocking that he'll find a whole bunch of people who will follow this this line of reasoning? 
Well, let's find them. Uh, the roster of this secretive shadowy group involves a oh, friend of the show, J.D. Vance, Josh no. Alley, Elise Stefanik, uh, federal judges left and right, Ben Shapiro, dozens of executives, senior figures in the worlds of finance, energy, and beyond have also been members. That's incredible, Nick, isn't it? Now, with this, I want to point out, and, and this is how they, they, they talked about this. Um, and by the way, it, it, it all came up. This is just wonderful that this is how they envision the world. Are, are, are you ready for this, Nick? Because this is a, um, I don't know how else to put this. This is a stupid and ridiculous way that they view the world. Are you prepared? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? So <laughs> of the leadership there, uh, they say this, this is how it started. And it, it included a... Uh, <laughs> Of course, it involves billionaire hedge funders. And this is how they say that liberals control the world. Quote, in a, in a meeting at the Harvard Club is where they say it takes place. A billionaire says, wouldn't it be cool if middle school kids had free access to sex change therapy paid for by the federal government? And then the filmmaker says, quote, I'd love to do a documentary on that. It will be a major motion, motion film. The Harvard professor says we can do studies on that to say that's absolutely biological sound and safe. And the New York Times person says all profile people who feel trapped in the wrong gender. I want to go ahead and say, by the way, we've covered this. The New York Times has been incredibly critical of trans care. But on top of that, this is the most juvenile perspective on how anything happens that I've ever seen. This is not how things happen. This isn't how stories happen. It's not how political movements take place. They literally think that it's a conspiracy that people are meeting over lunch to have. Uh, I kind of like the story, though. I mean, it sounds good to me. Let, let's do that. Let's have some people. I want to go to more lunches. You know, and by the way, this Tenio thing was a, is a supper club. It, th this is how they decided to do it. They're, they get together for dinners and they hang out. I, I would, I would, we, Jared, we need to start our own dinner club where we can discuss these things and maybe we'll raise millions of dollars every year too. I, we should do this. I, I think that they're onto something. I love it. Okay. And by the way, I, I want to point out, listen to this. So uh, the, this guy who, who is a co-founder, he admits that he came up with a large part of this idea while, you guessed it, everybody, having lunch with Peter Thiel. Says that they had lunch together and decided that they needed to come up with a way in order to influence politics. So what they did was they had a lunch in which they came together on a conspiracy to change politics and then projected that onto their opponents. That oh. is the right-wing mentality absolutely personified i couldn't you couldn't make that up if you had to but but they, they also stress that they want to describe themselves as center right now center right is is you know it seems like oh it's reasonable moderate whatever but then they go on and poach members from the federalist society to get into this thing it's like a it, it's secret society inside of another one of the federal yeah. society it's like, a, it's like a sherlock holmes movie i saw this no. movie where they burn the candles and they have the uh, arrows, whatever they're, it's insane. It is literally insane yeah. what they, A, what they think that like progressives are doing and how they're trying yeah. to take over the world. But it's a very powerful way to then uh, get your agenda done, right? Because, and this is what the, the Republicans always do is they, they love to accuse the Democrats of being vicious and organized, whatever, it, which I love to hear. It makes me feel really good because I know that's not even close to the case. No. Nope. Uh, yeah, there's no viciousness. There's no organized no organization. There's nothing. There's no. There's but, nothing. Um, 
Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, 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 and they, they believe they know that, right. They know that, but they know that they can use that signal to then get everyone else more organized. You know, if you're evil, then you're more organized. Isn't that like sort of, aren't, isn't that like interest rates and bond prices? <laughs> they all go together. Well, and by the way, by the way, for anybody who isn't aware of this, they don't spend the time like absolutely immersed in this bullshit the way that I do. And, and good for you if you don't. This is a re-explanation uh, of a theory that they have called the cathedral. It's this idea that has been pushed forward by authoritarian ideologists within uh, this entire sphere. And, and by the way, Peter Thiel is absolutely all over that. It's the idea that the deep state culture and the academy are all involved in this big giant conspiracy, which, by the way, the federal government has been completely defanged. The deep state they're talking about are a bunch of technocrats, many of them who are just charged with keeping the lights on. The entertainment industry does what the entertainment industry does. They're not taking meetings, deter determining how to push things necessarily. And then finally, the Academy. Are you kidding me? The Academy is on fire. It's not working anymore. It's falling apart. So what is their answer to this, Nick? Because you're exactly right. The answer to this, they say in this article in which they're admitting it, they say to, quote, confront woke capitalism, which doesn't exist. Jonathan Bunch, a longtime Leo deputy and now Teneo board member, wrote that the group had brought together a coalition of Teneans working with or serving as state attorneys generals, state attorneys general, state financial officers, state legislatures, journalists, media executives, and best-in-class public affair professionals in order to carry out the war. Nick, they have the power. <laughs> they have all the power. They're imagining their opponents having power when they don't actually have power. And what is that doing? It's legitimizing their conspiracy. It's incredible. It's the most amazing distilled actual explanation of right-wing politics that I've seen in forever. Right. And it's it, it all for more. It's all for money. That's all. It's just all for, for money. money. All for know? money. And, and power. I mean, they wanted to be able to get people on every kind of board imaginable from private schools to the yep. Senate. And they yep. have. Holly is now in the Senate and there's the list is long of, of uh, politicians now who are part of this society. Uh, it, it is kind of frightening because, again, it's it's the Sherlock Holmes movie. It literally sounds just like that. Uh, and you know what? There's probably truth in, in that movie and what they were describing and maybe in, in, in the history of uh, of England and whatever, how they were controlled. But uh, it certainly feels like that's what's happening here. And and they're doing a lot, uh, a, a lot of work to get there. And we're seeing on school boards, right? And then now all of a sudden the curriculum has changed. And next thing you know, it's propaganda. And it's not the truth. It's wokeism stuff. By the way, we, I forgot to bring this up. Did you see the Wall Street Journal opinion of why the bank, uh, Silicon Valley Bank failed? You saw this, right? Because it's kind of what we're talking about. They want to blame wokeism for it because the, the, the board had, and by the way, the way they describe it is completely racist as it is, but because there were too many uh, minorities basically on the board. I have the, I, I, yeah, I, I have this. Um, actually, they, they said that if they were less worried about diversity hires, uh, it's, it's real bad. It's, it's real, real bad. Yeah. yeah. And that and those are all triggers. Those are all the um, the safe words, whatever the words they use to get everybody uh, up, you know, to, to, to get behind their cause. Uh, this is Wall Street Journal, by the way. I actually have the quote. I just found it. Yeah. Quote, was there regulatory failure? Perhaps. 
Silicon Valley Bank was regulated like a bank, but looked more like a money market fund. Then there's this. It's proxy statement. SVB notes that besides 91% of their board being independent and 45% women, they also have one black, one LGBTQ plus, and two veterans. I'm not saying 12 white men would have avoided this mess, but the company may have been distracted by diversity demands. That's incredible. Literally nobody at the Wall Street Journal said, wait, are you saying that this entire collapse was caused because they had, quote, one black, one LGBTQ plus, and two veterans? Is Larry Summers the editor there? Is that is that who's writing this shit? Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like some old 78-year-old white guy, you know, with bad teeth that's just like complaining about. He needs to go away. If there's one thing to take away from this episode, it's that Larry Summers needs to exit stage left, pursued by Bear. By Bear or A Bear? Don't worry about it. Is it A Bear? By bears, by lots of things. Yes, by he just be fearing for his life as he runs. I don't, I, I don't wish ill uh, on anybody, really. But if he, if he like stubbed his toe really hard, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I just want Larry Summers uncomfortable. That's all I want. All right, everybody, <laughs> we're gonna end this episode before it gets much worse. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. It's good to have Nick back. We will be back on Friday with the Weekender Edition uh, again. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. I've been hearing from a bunch of people who have come on board who said they don't know why it took them so long. Get on board. This train is leaving the station. Jump on board. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash podcast. If you need us before then, Nick said, can you hear me? SMH. I'm a JY Saxton. Be safe.